Hello and welcome to the Take Charge podcast. I'm your co-host Piers Ward and I'm joined with Andy Proudman. Now today's podcast is a beaut. Five traits of a tour pro separating the best from the rest. So myself and Andy have sat down and discussed what does it take to become a tour pro. And there's many traits but we've separated our top five from the rest in order to give you some take-homes where you can actually learn what these guys are doing and how it can actually help improve your game. So it's always good to listen to what the best players in the world are doing, but how can you learn from what they do on a day-to-day basis to get the most out of your game? Now, we know you're gonna love this, so let's help you take charge of your game. So before we get into today's podcast, we uh, obviously love doing these podcasts. This is something that uh, we really enjoy doing that, Pierce, isn't we it? We do. So we want to make it a regular thing. So we had a discussion the other day and we said we want to make one and, re- and film one of these or record one of these every single week. So we're going to do our very best to get these going live every single Tuesday. Um, and we may even ask you guys for some topics to discuss. So please um, head over to iTunes, leave us a comment and a review. Let us know what topics you would like us to discuss. And we yeah. have a great topic. We do, yes, we do. And I think just another thing on that, Andy, obviously special guests as well. If you have any ideas on who you would like to hear information from, we've had some great ones already. So Tiger? Tiger, Tiger, and maybe Tiger. (laughs) Time to start begging. That's it, yes. (laughs) Tiger would be the one. But yeah, let us know who you want us to uh, do a podcast with. We'd love to know. Okay, so let's get into today's topic. And this is a, I mean, this is the great thing about a podcast, Pierce. It opens up opportunities to talk about other things, you know, not necessarily just what the golf swing looks like and technique, yeah. but certain things that you don't have to actually watch to, to improve. So we've got today, we're talking about five traits of a tour pro, really separating the best from the rest. And this is something that myself and Piers sat down and, and really had a good long chat about and discussed what we felt were the, the five main things that the best players in the world have as traits. Well, it wasn't easy, was it? It wasn't easy, no. Because so there's probably another easy. five that could have easily gone in there. And I think, you know, when you're trying to put yourself into this situation where you're thinking that, you know, you look at what tour pros do, you know, if I were a tour pro or the tour pros that we've worked with, and you think, well, what are they really good at? And they're good at a lot of things. But we've tried our best, I think, to whittle it down to five, and hopefully we've got some good ones for you. We have, yeah. And hopefully, you, like, you know, the, the good thing about this, we want to give you some practical things to take home from this as well. So if you can, you know... Wherever you are, listen, take notes, and you can. You, if you can have some take home from this, then hopefully you can apply these on the golf course as well. So there's no there's no reason why you can't. I no. think with, with what we've discussed here, you know, it seems great. Obviously, talking about the greats, Tiger Woods, Nick Faldo, you know, well they're different to me. But no, there's, there's certain things that they have done to become yeah. great players that you can definitely take out into your social games of golf for sure. Okay, so let's get into um, the first trait. Now, the first trait is. Preparation. Now, this is something, Pierce, that the best players in the world, they can't ignore this one. They have to prepare. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're going to be playing and, you know, challenging to win major championships, they have to, have to prepare. Now, we've got a quote. We're going to kick this off with a quote. And this quote is actually something that I think the first time I heard it was back at the PGA in my training. And I think it was really because they wanted you, obviously, to make sure you prepare and get ready for their exams. <laughs> Were you listening Do not then? be late. Do Were not be listening? late. Were you listening to I that? Think, I think I was. I could have been better at preparing. But the quote is, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And I think it's something that stuck with me since the PGA because it is just so key. I think yeah. if you are prepared for what's coming up with your golf event, with your game, then things are so much easier. And I remember a... Um, a seminar, not, not a seminar, it was a gala dinner actually we went to Pierce with, uh, we got invited by Kevin Peters and the cricketer. Mm-hmm. 
and he was on stage talking about his life and Piers Morgan was interviewing him and he said, you know, when you're out there and you're, and you're, you're playing cricket, did you ever really get nervous? And it was interesting and he said he never really felt nervous because he knew that he'd put in all the preparation. Yeah. He knew he'd put in the work, the hours of prep to actually take care and, and, and do the business out on the, uh, on the field. And I think that's key, isn't it? You know, being out, putting in the work beforehand so when you're actually out in battle, it becomes so much easier because you know deep down that you've put in the work. And you know what? I think it's, it's very easy when you look at golfers out there. You're only seeing them play their tournament round, aren't you? You know, if you go to a tour event, look at how hard they work. And I guarantee you the caddy is working extremely hard as well. So the caddy, the coach and the player will all work around getting all the information possible. And it's easy as well to look at someone like Dustin Johnson who's so laid back. But the preparation that is, goes into making his tournament, you know, work well for him, it, it's massive. And if they don't put that preparation in, they are going to fail. So it's, it's obviously massive importance. And isn't it? it's interesting, you know, you, you, generally the live tournaments, you see it from Thursday to Sunday. Uh, but the guys are turning up on a, on a Monday, mm. sometimes even a Sunday, and they are putting in all those days of preparation before and before that. Yeah whether it need be playing certain shots that they need to, to have for that golf course or, you know, mapping out the greens yeah. or, you know, working out where the danger is, getting the strategy right. And, you know, the guys at home don't necessarily, necessarily see that. Nobody sees in all yeah. that hard work, do they? But and I think, they, I think what they, they like now as well is that they love it when they've got to play a golf course for the second or the third or the fourth time because they've yes. done all that preparation already. So the thing for us is, you know, I will say this to any of... of my students on the lesson tee, or we say this to anybody online, Andy, if you are a member of a golf club or you play that same golf club all the time, do you have, quote unquote, the perfect game plan? Now, yeah. we know that you're not going to be able to execute every shot that you want, but do you stand on that first tee already knowing, the Kevin Peterson thing, what you want to do? Whether you can do it or not is a different, is a different matter. Whether you can actually you know, hit that first fairway with your driver is a different matter. But if you're totally 100% prepared with a perfect strategy, then there's a really good chance that you're going to perform well. And what's the answer that we normally get, Andy, when, when we say to someone, do you have that perfect plan? They generally don't, do No, they? definitely not, no. And like you say, it's, I mean, I remember when um, we were members at Oxley. Yeah. And Oxley Park in, in Wolverhampton in England, it's a very short, tight golf course, about 6,200 yards. And it's, we hit the ball a long way. So... Sometimes hitting the golf ball a long way wasn't necessarily a good strategy. So it, it enabled us to actually hit an iron off the tee and give yeah. ourselves the best chance possible. And I remember, I, I remember definitely myself working out a strategy, the best place or the best strategy to give myself the most birdie opportunities around there. Because there, there were a yeah. lot, weren't there? Yeah, yeah. If you were in play off the tee and you didn't need the length around that golf yeah. course. And I think it's something that the guys at home can certainly take from that. Do they, have they worked out every single tee shot? What's the best club to hit? Where's the best line to take? You know, what side of the green do you not want to be? All these little things could massively help the, the scores in the long run. But I think a lot of golfers turn up to the first tee. It's a par four. I'm going to hit driver. Yeah. If it goes in the bunker, oh well. You know, they don't yeah. necessarily think that strategically. And I think it's a, it's a massive one really, isn't hitting, it? Hitting what you usually hit is not a plan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got to figure out what is the best club to do it. And just go to the golf course and play golf by yourself. I mean, look, this is massive, to be honest, in our, in our opinion. You know, having this plan to understand what to do, going to the golf course and playing it by yourself and actually figuring out what is the best club to hit. You know, there's no point in putting yourself in trouble, you know, by just 
pulling the driver out of the bag straight away and just hitting it. You know, think about what you're going to do and definitely get a plan. And it's amazing how many people don't necessarily put in the prep. And there's certain reasons. I mean, some people won't put in the preparation piece because then they have an excuse <laughs> if it goes wrong. Yeah. So they may have club, let's say club championship coming up and they know that if they work extremely hard, they work, you know, they put in the work, but they have a poor round, some people might be fearful that actually, what, what will people say to them? It might look bad that they pull all that prep in and they've had, they've yeah. shot 85. But that they have lessons, they practice, exactly. and then they put prep into it, and like yeah. you say, they shoot 85. Well, look, that can happen, of course it can. But you know what, if you keep, if you have the lessons, if you do the prep, if you watch the YouTube videos from me and my golf, yeah. you know, if you do all of this stuff, you know, you, there's more chance that you're going to succeed further down the line. Doesn't mean you're going to succeed every time, but you've definitely got more chance for sure. Definitely. So look, I mean, take homes from this. Preparation really is key. It's definitely going to help you feel more comfortable on the yeah. day. Let's say you are preparing for the club championship. You put in the work weeks in advance. When it comes to that day, you know yourself. You'll have the confidence that you've put in the work. Um, I mean, certain things like playing certain shots for a type of golf course. You might be going on a Lynx trip. Yeah. Um, you might be going playing somewhere in, let's say, Southport, where you need to play some knockdown shots or some low driving irons. So, you know, a couple of weeks before, maybe just practicing on some low shots, some low soft shots, and um, some fades, some draws. If you're playing a course with a lot of dog legs, yeah. you know, being able to work the golf ball and and prepare for a golf course is. Uh, is really important also. Yeah, I think just a quick note on this again on, on what you can take home from this. I mean, you know, we used to, I don't know whether you actually used to do it, but I used to try and qualify for playing in the Open as well. So we had our own quest for the Open, you know, back in the day. And, you know, I remember going to Open, you know, uh, pre-qualifying events and having practice round, having a couple of practice rounds, taking a notebook, having a caddy maybe sometimes, and actually just going through the notes exactly as I would, I'd like to. And I remember the ones thinking, hang on a bit, why don't I do this for everything? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it makes sense that you shouldn't just do it for one <laughs> event, you should just do it all the time. So, never yeah. made it to the Open, obviously, but uh, I was pretty prepared, for sure. Good, actually, you've just, you just made me, I've just remembered something there, you sparked something off. We used to play um, the Midland Open at a golf course called Forest Hill, and I always remember there was a par four, I can't remember the hole, but it was a 90 degree <laughs> dog leg to the right, yeah? yeah? So you could hit this, you could actually either hit, let's say, an iron Six down iron. to the corner mm -hmm. and then a wedge onto the green, or you could hit a four iron slice. Yep. High, so high, high four, four iron slice. slice. So I would practice two weeks before hitting this one shot, a high four iron slice, because I knew if I executed this shot, it's almost a guaranteed birdie or even eagle chance. Yeah. So it was like, well, I would make sure that I've got that shot in the bag. And I think it was Arnold Palmer said, don't ever practice on the course what you've not done on the driving range or something like that anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like something that really, I would always remember leading up to that event, it was like, okay, I need to practice that shot because it could really pay off on the day. And yeah. on the day, I think I made a couple of birdies, but you know, it's just giving myself that chance to do it. Did you pull it left and missed the I think I did the ones, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Head of bounds, maybe. Head of bounds. But I mean, it's simple things like, you know, equipment you've got in the bag. Is it going to rain that day? Yeah. You know, what equipment have you got in the bag that's going to help you? Simple things like that yeah. are really important, aren't they? I, I, look, I, I just think that the biggest thing you can do, go and play golf by yourself with a notebook, make some notes and see if it helps you. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it will. Okay, let's move on to the next one, Pierce. Obsessed. Okay, so obsessed seems like a very um, strong phrase. But let's just get the definition of this. So a pattern of unwanted or intrusive thoughts or urges that. Is that right? Sorry, yeah, okay. So a pattern of unwanted or intrusive thoughts or urges that recur persistently, often accompanied by symptoms of an anxiety. So obsessed is a word that really 
I think it, it's sort of often a lot of people think, yeah, it's often thought of, of a negative. But we see this amongst the best players, don't we? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, for, for me, for, I suppose I'll ask you the question now. Andy. What does obsessed mean for you, or obsessing on something? Well, I think I think obsession is somebody who really knows clearly exactly what they want, yeah. and they're waking up on a daily basis, um, knowing what they want and working towards that. Solely, so it's a, an extreme focus on a goal of what they want. So, um, again, we're going to drop in another quote here. We've got another quote that's that's. Uh, I'm not sure this is from actually, but it says obsessed is a word used by the lazy to describe the dedicated. Yeah, I've seen so a lot of people use that. Maybe Conor McGregor and a few people. I might. think so. Yeah, but it's. Uh, I mean, it shows there. I mean, this is. It, it's not necessarily a bad thing if it's if it's if you're working towards a positive goal. So isn't it interesting, I asked you what your thought was on that word. If I asked 100 people in the street, what do you think of the word obsessed, obsession? And they would think, I think a lot of them would think of it as a negative Definitely. thing to do. You know, they would associate it with, oh, you're obsessed with this person, you're like a stalker almost of this person. You know, what we're saying is, figure out, you know, if you're obsessed about something, it's something you want. Then, if you can shift your focus to wanting that as well, then you'll move towards that. We always say, you know, where you put your focus is where you move towards. So, you know, making sure that you, fig- you need to figure out what that is, but obsessing on something is not a bad thing at all. Yeah, you look at Tiger Woods, and I mean, you know, when we Tiger back on the scene now, a lot of people are going to be talking about Tiger, but when it comes to somebody like him, you would say that he is obsessed with being the best in the world, leaving his legacy, winning, you know, surpassing. Jack Nicholas's record of majors, you know, he's he will be obsessed with doing that, and he will do everything he can until he can no longer do it, yeah, physically and mentally. Yeah, um, you know, he's not going to give give up until until it's over. And I, th- I think I think the one thing that you obviously have to be careful of with obsession, um, we have obviously in the UK, we won a, a rugby World Cup a few years ago. Probably our, our best player is a fly off called Johnny Wilkinson. Obviously, some of the people listening to this will know, and he would. He often would say that he became, he was obsessed with being better. But what he, he did, and this is where we have to be careful with obsession, I suppose, is he did lose his way a little bit because he was obsessed so much on one thing. He didn't realise the things around it that could cause problems and stop his obsession. So I suppose the one thing we're saying with this is be mindful. So injuries, basically, he would, because he worked so hard, he wasn't aware that it was damaging his body. So just be aware that obviously, yes, you've got your obsession, your focus, but then what helps you to create that focus? And sometimes, in Johnny Wilkinson's case, rest would have been really useful. Yeah. You know, making sure he had the, the, the required rest to actually continue to perform at the high level. So I suppose, you know, we have got to be careful with that, but just purely having a focus and moving towards it is the main thing you yeah. want to be looking at. It needs to be a healthy obsession, obviously. It does, yes, of course. And I think, look, the best player, we're talking about the best players in the world here. It's different to the average amateur golfer out there. So you think, well... How can we then relay this back to something practical for the guys at home listening yeah. to this? And you think, well, look, if you, if you want to get better at something and you're looking to achieve something, then you need to clearly, clearly define your goals. Mm-hmm. Set yourself some goals because the people who are obsessed with being the best in the world, that, look, they have clear goals and they are working towards them every day. So the key thing is really going, well, what do I actually want? Write it down, write down your goals and then have a clear plan to exactly how you're going to get there. And I think it doesn't have to be an obsession, but it's certainly going to help you actually improve and get to where you want to be as opposed to just sort of going through the motions. And you know, I, think, I think goal setting is key. If you can yeah. write things down and then work out a clear plan how to get there, it's, it's like the sat-nav, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. get in your car, not really knowing where you're going. If you've got a clear destination and you know how to get there, 
you know, you're going to get there a lot faster. Yeah, I think I think you know you can you can you can break down obsession into really small, you know, daily routines as well. So imagine you're going to the driving range. You know, why don't you go there with an obsession of what you're going to create from that driving range session? Don't just turn up there and just hit golf balls. We talk about this all the time. But why don't you turn up to your driving range session and go right? I am going to be obsessed with being able to play a low draw if that's what you're, something you just want to work at. Yeah. And go there and have that as the obsession. And then before you know it, you'll come out of, the, out of your practice session going, okay, I've achieved something there. You know, or at least I've understood why I can't do it for sure. Yeah. Okay, so okay. obsession. That's two good ones, preparation and obsession. I like it. It's a good aftershave as well. I think. <laughs> like right, okay, number three, playing to your strengths. So Andy, what are we talking about when we're talking about playing to your strengths? Well, we've all got strengths and weaknesses, some more than others. Um, but I think it, the... Playing to your strengths. I think it's the best players in the world really understand what they're good at and what they're not so good at. And what they do is they will plan their strategy and they will understand um, how to use their strengths to their, to their best ability and, and really avoid some of their weaknesses. So um, they will not put themselves in a situation, they will do their very best not to put, them, put themselves in a situation where they're exposing their weakness. Yeah. And I think... Uh, we'll, we'll give you a bit of a story here. We went to a we went to a seminar with Dave Peltz, so the short game um, and putting guy, and he was talking about he was doing some work with Paul Azinger, wasn't it, Pierce? He was. Paul Azinger, if you remember, he's got a very strong left hand grip. Um, now, when it comes US to US Open champion, as well. US, US Open champion, champion yeah. sorry, so he's no he's no bad golfer for sure. And uh, when you've got a very strong grip and you're playing a let's say a short. Um, any short game shots really, it sometimes can be quite difficult because the club face can get very closed. Yes. And um, I, I think he went to Dave Peltz and he said, I'm really struggling with a, with a 40 yarder. Um, and you know, due to the strong grip, it's very hard to sort of get loft on the club face and, uh, and create some sort of soft, high landing shots from there. Um, but I think him and Dave, I th- didn't they agree, Pierce, that they <laughs> said, well, this 40 yard shot, is just not the shot that, that really you should be playing. Well, can, can you remember how it, how it went about the conversation and that he was like, he was testing him. Dave was testing Paul and going, hang on a bit, I've got a major champion here and this guy is really bad <laughs> at yeah. this shot. And he actually asked him a question, didn't he? He says, well, what do you do if you've got 40 yards left? Can you remember the response? Yeah. What was it? He said, uh, I sack my caddy. I sack my caddy. So you know what, I mean, <laughs> that says it all, doesn't it? You know, part of his strength was not a 40-yard pitch shot, so he is not going to have that shot. So if he's obviously a lot better from 80 yards, so if he's got to do a layup, he's not going to be 40 yards short, he's going to be 80 yards short, so he'll play to that strength. Exactly, and I think you know, this is something that they obviously know. They know what they're good at, they know what they're bad at, and them and their caddy will work together to say, well, you know, let's say they're on a par five, yep. and it's 280 yards to go, Azinger, that's for instance, he probably can't reach it from 280 yards away. So he's not going to just hit a three-wood 240 yards and leave him a 40-yard shot. Mm. You know, he will pick up, you know, he might hit a three-iron, four-iron and leave himself maybe 80 yards in or something like that. And I think this is where the guys at home may struggle or may not think in in far advance than that. They might have 280 yards left and just hit the longest club in the bag without thinking about, well, what do I want to leave myself? Do I want to leave myself a a 40-yard or a 30-yarder or would I prefer to have a, a 90 and 80 or even 100 yards? And some of the guys at home will 100% prefer to have a 120-yard shot over a 30 or a 40-yard shot. So why put themselves in a situation where they expose their weakness? 
you know, put themselves in a situation where they feel confident in the shot and they're going to play to their strengths. How, how many people will be listening to this, Andy, now at home going, oh my goodness, that makes total sense. It's kind of, for me, like, it's like, well, okay, you've got a penalty to win the World Cup and you stick your goalkeeper to take it. You know, yeah. The worst person in the squad to take it. You know, if you're playing that par five, leave yourself that fuller shot in if you're no good at that 40 yard. And look, we've got loads of different examples. And I think it's good to, to talk about these examples. That's a great story, Andy, about Dave Peltz and Paul Azinger. But if we look at Rory McIlroy, so, and there'll be always times when you'll buck the trend. Yeah. So you may say to yourself, well, this is a really tight hole. I shouldn't be hitting driver here. I need to be hitting, you know, a, a three iron off the tee. Well, look, someone like Rory McIlroy may look at that and go, hang on a bit. I'm hitting the driver because that's my yeah. best club. That is my straightest club in the bag. So I will hit my driver on a hole where a lot of people will be hitting a long iron. You know, Phil Mickelson, I think, is a great example as well. Someone who will, his proximity to the hole is usually pretty good. So he's usually quite close to the hole. But does it mean he hits the green? Maybe not, because if there's a flag tucked around the corner, he has no fear going for that flag because he knows he can probably get up and down. Yeah. And these are the sort of things that, you know, if that is your strength, you know, if you are great at 40-yard pitching, then play to the 40-yard pitch. If yeah. you, you know, you can attack those flags. But, you know, just understanding what those strengths are is really important. Yeah, and I think also... We're not saying don't work at your weaknesses. Working at your weaknesses mm. is going to obviously bring your game on as well. You know, we want you to focus on your weaknesses, but we also want you to understand your strengths. Now, when it comes to strengths, we never want to sacrifice our strengths to improve a weakness. You know, we always want to make sure that we understand what we're good at and we protect those strengths. So if you're a really good or really accurate iron player, you want to make sure that you continue to be a really good yeah. accurate iron player don't and don't nice. sacrifice that, you know, in trying to become a longer hitter, for instance. Mm. I mean, a good example, one of the guys that we teach, Aaron Rye, he, he is not the longest on tour, on the European tour. He, I think his driving average is about 280 yards, so he's certainly not, the, certainly not the longest. But his accuracy is, in, is incredible. You know, he, he has so much club face control through the golf ball, which enables him to really access, you know, pins and, and get his proximity very good. Now, we had a decision to make years ago. Well, do we really try and add speed to him? Do mm -hmm. we really add some speed to him and change things? But we had to make the decision that actually, well, if we try and add, add speed and get, gain distance, we're actually going to lose his, his, his yeah. strength, which is his consistency and his accuracy. So what you have to do is really work with that. How can we keep the strength, keep honing that in? but also bring up the weaknesses to obviously elevate the game. And I think that really is important, is understanding and identifying your strengths, but also identifying your weaknesses, bringing those weaknesses up, but sort of building a strategy around that's going to help you to put yourself in a position that, that allows you to give yourself the best chance possible, as opposed to exposing those weaknesses on the golf course. Yeah, and I think, I think there'll, obviously there'll be, there'll be people listening to this and going, well, actually... I might know what I'm good at and I might know what I'm bad at, but I think there's, you know, how can you figure this out? Obviously, you can go and pay and have a golf lesson and figure out, you know, have a full testing of your all aspects of your game to figure out what you're best at. I think the best way to find out actually what you're good at and bad at is to keep stats. Yeah. So actually what to play golf over 10 rounds, keep your stats and then look at the stats and see how accurate they are. One thing that we say to a lot of our clients is imagine you have a bucket of skill in one area of the game, one department of the game. So you've got driving, you've got fairway metals, you've got hybrids, you've got long irons, mid irons, short irons, and all these different disciplines, even mental and tactical disciplines. And let's say it's from a scale of one to 10 on these buckets, okay? So if you're at a 10, you're filling the bucket with great skill when you're looking at this. Now, if you can go through this whole system and mark yourself out of 10 with these buckets, you'll find that 
you'll find out what you're good at and you'll find out what you're bad at, great. But you'll also find out what you're working at. Because if you actually look at it and go, well, I'm actually rating myself as eight out of 10 on driving. Well, you're pretty good at that. But then when you go to the driving range, you're practicing your driving all yeah, the time. Exactly. Because it's more fun and <laughs> because you want to hit the driver. Or the same, you know, I'm a really good iron player from 150 to 125. And you go, well, okay, that's fine, but that's all you practice. Whereas actually you should be practicing some 50 yard shots or some longer irons. So I think a great example of this is someone like Dustin Johnson. So Dustin Johnson, um, three years ago, was probably hit world number one for the first time, maybe two years ago. Now he was probably the best driver on the planet. And he would hit a lot of drives and he would practice a lot with the driver and he'd be very good with it. He kind of figured out through a bit of help from other people as well that he was only the 50th best in the world from 150 to 100 yards. Now, if you think about the amount of shots that Dustin Johnson has from 150 to 100 yards yep. with his driving, he is going to be massively on top with that part of his game. So if you think about what he needed to work at, if he was 50th best, then you know what? He needed to work at his 100 to 150 yards. And guess what? He has done that and he is now second in that category and he's world number one. And unless people like Rory and Jordan and maybe Justin Thomas book up their ideas and get even better, he could be there for a long time. Yeah, and, one of, and with DJ, obviously they've got the guys at TaylorMade working closely on his stats. If, if you would have probably asked DJ what's he good and what's he, what's he not so good at, yeah. He might not have even known that. He might, he might, have, not might not have known that. And I think until you actually really start looking and recording things, you know, why guess? You know, start recording your stats. You know, we use an app now called the 18 Birdies app, which is fantastic. You can record lots of stats on there, which is really good. Um, so that's worth so that's worth looking at as well. Um, but just make a start and start collecting some information about your game, and uh, you're gonna be interested to find out and start seeing seeing some patterns on the golf yeah. course of what you need to improve on. I think that's the key. Yeah, very good app actually, because you can actually plan out your round on that as well. So it's all about this, you know, learning those strengths. I like it, I like it. Okay, right, we're moving through now. Number four, okay, this one is resilience. So okay. resilience, Pierce, what does that mean? Okay, the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. So basically, letting go of the bad. You know, and well, this is a good one on the golf course. I this should. is something, that, <laughs> this is maybe, if you're listening to this, this is something that we've all experienced. You have a double bogey on the card and then you're carrying this anger with you for the next three holes. So this is... Uh... Pitching wedge goes helicoptering down the fairway. <laughs> yeah. We've all done that, some more than others maybe. But yeah, Andy, how, how important is it? You know, we talk about playing every shot, one shot at a time, you know, being in the present. You know, as soon as you flip into that state of anger or you're, you know, you're annoyed you know, about what you've just done or you're upset or it affects your confidence, you start talking bad about it, suddenly you are not resilient. No, and I think, look, again, we're going to share another story here. You look back to um, last year at Royal Burtdale in the Open. We were there um, for, what days was it? We were there for just practice days? We were there for Wednesday and the Friday. We were there Wednesday and the Friday, yeah, two days. Yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, actually. That's it, yeah, three days. <laughs> so, so, look, obviously the winner, Jordan Spieth, um, it was on the 13th hole, I think, Pierce. He was, yeah. He, um, Long par four, and, and it was interesting because he hit that driver and it went miles over, like 80 yards right. And you saw that moment where he gets his hands on his head and he's like, oh my God, what have I just yeah, done? Yeah. And, you know, he's in a position where, he, you know, he's in a great position there and he, he gets down to his golf ball and it would have been so easy from that shot. He's an 80-yard shot off offline. He's got the referee over trying to find, you know, and he's thinking he's potentially maybe lost the Open. Um, but um, how quickly mm. did he recover? Or how quickly did he recover from that one shot? So that one shot there, he just let that 
go. You could see every, everything about his focus was about what he had to do moving forward. He wasn't there thinking about, okay, I've lost my chance now. I'm, I'm, this is going to you know, stop me from winning the Open. It was, he was doing his best working with the referee. What do I need to do? Where's my line? How can I get it you know, back in play from here and recover the mistake? And that takes a lot of strength. Mm. I, think, I think the one thing that actually helped him in that situation, this is where you can definitely learn from this, I'm not saying go and play golf slowly, but because it did take a long time for him to figure it out, actually what happened was his focus shift from, oh my God, that's a rubbish shot, to actually now I need to go and drop the golf ball in the best possible place for me to now have to get a par, yeah. try and get a par out of this. So he actually focused, he was sorry, his focus was switched quite quickly into what he then had to do to play the next shot well. Now, if he'd have actually hit it into a really bad lie and had to play it and there was no other options. Maybe he would, you know, he, you know he's still mm. thinking about it. He's, he's, he's getting there, he's getting his hit in the shot a lot quicker. He hacks it down the fairway before you know it. He makes another bad decision. So what we're saying is when you hit a really bad shot, just say to yourself, and this is a, the best thing I can say is, what's my, what's my job? So your job is, what have I got to do next? What have I got to do next? What have I got to do next? You know, no, always think about what is my next job? What is my next job? It's not about being upset. Yes, you may be, but if you can switch it to actually focusing on what you need to do straight away, then you'll soon forget about it. Yeah, so do you, th do you think in that situation, having the referee there and the fact that it was, he had to do, he had to have a drop, and yeah. do you think the, having the ref there helped him? I think so, it slowed him down a little bit. And if you can find a way of slowing yourself down without slowing the rest of the game down, then that's a good thing yeah, to I think, do. I think it almost switched his focus and him talking to the ref and saying, well, what can I do now? Yeah. Instead of, Oh my God, my yeah. ball's in the bushes. Yeah. Let me just hack it out, and it, it was. I think it so, probably was a good thing. So this is the thing. I think you, you hit it in a bush, and you're thinking straight away. I'm going to make a double bogey. I'm exactly. going to make a triple bogey. I'm going to make a quadruple bogey. My score's gone. I was playing really well up to this point. Why do I always blow up? All of these things that go through your mind. Whereas he's got to, you know, hopefully what you should do is get to your golf ball and go. Okay, all right. I'm in a bad lie there. Right. I need a penalty drop. Let's figure out how, well, the best place to drop it is for my next shot. And suddenly, what I just said, secondly there, surely that makes more sense to get the best out of your performance. But yeah. <laughs> it's not always as easy as that. We totally understand that. We're not, we're not sitting here saying that we are you know, doing all these five ourselves to the best possible level, otherwise we'd be on tour. But what we're saying is that these are the things that we definitely notice. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, coming back to Tiger, you look at Tiger in a, um, his bounce back ability. His <laughs> bounce back ability is incredible and was incredible, you know, um, you know, in his heyday where he would make a bogey and he would bounce back with a birdie. And yeah. I think he was somebody who, and, and he's still a guy who hits a bad shot and he shows his emotion. He looks like he gets angry on the golf course. But the great thing about Tiger, and I know when he was with um, Steve Williams as his caddy, he would have the, was, I think it was either a 10 yard or a 10 second rule where yeah. if he hit a bad shot, he could, he could cuss, he could moan, he could swear, but he had 10 seconds or 10 yards where after that point, he had to then let it go. Yeah. So he'd get it all out of his system, but then after that 10 marks, so that was a, almost like a, um, a tool for him, Pierce, to mm -hmm. actually to work on, on the golf course. And yeah. I think these, with these things that we're talking about, as, as you said, Pierce, well, they all need work. We, you know, we go on there and we, I'm sure we would need work in a lot of these still. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have to work at these and sort of get the awareness if, if one of these situations sort of presents themselves, well, okay, right. I've got to make sure I let go of that and move on and focus on, on, on forward. But Tiger had that great sort of rule there within, like I say, whether it was 10 seconds or 10 yards, it was a tool that was put in place to yeah. go, okay, that's done, now let's focus on what I need to focus on, and that is the, uh, 
the shot right the next there. shot. And I think I think the the the, the story goes that the that Steve Williams would put the bag down. Yeah. And he'd stop walking. That was it. Yeah. And Tiger maybe sometimes would turn around and look and go, "What's he doing? That idiot." Oh yeah, okay. Uh, would yeah. I would have stopped. Uh, stop. Stop, stop slamming, slamming spitting, there. and whacking the ground. <laughs> but yeah, I think you know, you know, his. And this is the, the the great thing if you have got this resilience and talking about Tiger as we all are at the moment. Every time he plays a tournament, we're you know if we're in the office, we, Safari goes on, PGA Tour. What's he done now? What's he done now? I remember I think just at the Honda, just and the golf course there is obviously extremely difficult. Six yeah. under, Justin Thomas. Congratulations on winning, but in a playoff, but that the golf course is so hard. Not played it yet, but it is meant to be really really tough. And he had a run of pars, and then went double bogey, and then he birdied the next hole. And then had a run of pass. So a lot of people, you have a double bogey, and it's like, oh, it could be a little bit shaky. He yeah. came back straight away, bounced back, birdie, and he's back into his normal flow. And yeah. He's probably got the best knack of doing that than anybody. And you think, uh, some of the guys who have listened to this, you, 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 you know, especially at a golf club where, let's say, you're a member's golf club, where you get to the course, let's say you're playing in a medal, let's say, second hole, you have a seven or an eight. So a triple or a quadruple bogey. How many people... Mentally, or even even saying to their partners, they'll be going, well, "That's it now. My card's I'm ruined. I'm, I, I can't <laughs> score now. I've ruined my card." So they're already in a negative state where they're they're saying, "Well, I can't continue from here." So they're letting that one score affect their next yeah. um, their next shots and moving forward. And I think that's so something that we see so common, Pierce, isn't it? You know, whereas look what what can what that triple bogey or quadruple bogey that they had. If they can just put that aside and just keep moving forward, you know they may they may bounce back with a birdie. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, they're sort of rescuing the round, and it, it's amazing what you can do if you just keep pushing on, mm. not giving up, and just keep going and going. And I think that's part of uh, the beauty of golf, isn't it? It's a good test of character, and in those situations, you've got to, it does test your strength mentally. And if yeah. you can just keep going, no matter what hole, no matter what hole you're on, keep pushing on and. Uh, it's amazing. Even if it is a bad round, even if it is a bad round, you can still salvage something mentally yeah. from that round. I think that you didn't let it get to you, and you carried on, and you and you didn't give up. And I think that's uh, sometimes the, the bad rounds like that are, are the learners as well. well. Do you know I've been a psychologist for over the last twenty years? Yeah. Did you know that? No. Okay. So um, when I used to work at Oxley Park in the pro shop, we get people who come halfway. They they come into the pro shop halfway round to get a drink, and and it would be yeah. I would never sort of say how are you doing because I never wanted to prompt. A conversation that they didn't want, but if ever they said, "Oh, you know, you know," they wanted to get in that conversation. You could see they wanted to say that they've just had a triple bogey and their game's over, and they're they're thinking of coming in. You know, you would often, I reckon, I turned around hundreds, thousands yeah. of rounds in that pro I shop seriously by saying, imagine. you know, just get the best out of it. You know, just go out and play the back nine. It's a this is a little bit easier, which it was at Oxley, and just just go out and play golf and, and treat it as a, as a new start. And then they'd come in and say, "Oh, my handicap didn't go up. Oh, I got yeah, cut." Yeah. Or exactly. you know, which was always the focus, which was always wrong anyway. But uh, yeah, so yes, yeah, psychologist last 20 years. Good, yeah, I think Dr. Ward. may have even helped me a couple of times, maybe. Dr. Ward. Um, but yeah, look, the take home from this, guys, I think with, with, with this, like any of these really self-awareness, you know, if you're in a situation where you, you've had a poor hole, you know, just be aware of how you're thinking and how you're maybe even speaking to your playing partners. And if you can create that self-awareness and understand that focusing on that past experience is going to do you no good, Focus on what you had ahead, have ahead of you. Maybe even put in the ten-second or ten-yard rule that Tiger used, yeah. and, uh, and just focus on what's ahead. And I think you'll you'll find that will uh, certainly help you moving on and, and reduce some of the stress that you have on the golf course, and hopefully lower those scores. Yeah, that's no, a good one. It's a good one. Right, 
the fifth one. This is hard, wasn't it, to get? And these aren't in any particular order, by the way. But yeah, it was really obviously hard for us to get all these in. But we really feel that this one is brilliant, and it just sounds great as well. Imperviousness. Andy, what are we talking about with imperviousness? Okay, so imperviousness. So this is. Let's go with the definition that we got. We got here: incapable of being influenced, persuaded, or affected. Now, I now, think of this as well also by Superman. So there's Superman. no bullets that can get through you either. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, impervious to pain. It is, look, and this is, this is a, a big one really, isn't it? You know, with, with, we're all influenced by certain situations and maybe people, but the best in the world, I think, know themselves extremely well. Mm-hmm. They know their game extremely well, and they, they're not really going to let anything influence them um, too easily. They will make a clear, concise decision probably as a team, the team around them, if, if something needs to be changed or their strategy needs to be changed or equipment or whatever it is needs to be changed, they're not easily susceptible to somebody influencing them. Yeah. So this is something that, and this happens amongst tour players, okay? So what we're about to say here, we're going to sort of say this is actually a bad thing. So if we're looking at guys who are just making it on tour, just get onto tour for the first time, how often and we've seen this a lot, Mm -hmm. do we see players get on tour and go, right, I need to go to the next level now. So what they do is they change their coach, change a caddy, sign a new deal with a new uh, club manufacturer. Maybe even change apparel to the point where the apparel then could be the, the, the company that are with them and then wanting them to do more work for them. So if you think about this, it sounds crazy that a guy who's been good enough to get on tour thinks that he's got to then go to the next level. What about the level you're at is pretty good, yeah, and you just need to grow a little bit more. So we, I mean, we we speak about this a lot, and just because his resurgence to form has been amazing, yeah, Tommy Fleetwood. So we know that Tommy Fleetwood now is possibly, if you just started watching golf for the first time now, and you looked at the top twenty players in the world, and you saw Tommy Fleetwood go, well, this guy's good. He must have been good for a long time, yeah. and he always has been good, of course. This is a guy who probably is the best tee to green player in the world at the moment. I don't see how there's many people better than him. Yeah. Now, if we think about him a couple of years ago, he was ready to give up. So this guy was ready to give up and stop playing golf. Yeah. He couldn't hit a fairway. He had no confidence in his game. By the way, his driving is probably the best part of his game now. So what did he do when he came onto tour, Andy? He changed coach. Changed his coach. Changed caddy. Yeah. And yeah. He went through these processes that just don't make sense. So I suppose, Andy, the, my question would be, I know this obviously, but how did he get back to playing great golf again? Well, well I think he quickly realised that he made the mistake of being influenced by a lot of people. Um, so he went back to what actually was working from the start. Yeah. So he was, you know, he went back to his old coach. Yeah. He went back to a caddy, one of his friends from, uh, from his local golf club. Yeah. Um, one of his good friends. And... He went back to what actually got him to where he was in the first place. And I think, like you say, it's so easy to get to that point and go, I'm on the European Tour now. Mm-hmm. What, are the, what are the other guys doing? Yeah, yeah. Maybe the other guys are yeah. seeing maybe David Ledbetter or yeah. Sean Foley. Well, that's maybe what I need to do. Yeah. Whereas, well, look, all the things that have got you to where you are, they've all worked and, and they've worked for a reason. You've got a good team around you and you know, you've got good people around you that have actually helped you get to the point. So if it is working, then then why change it? And like you said, you know, there's a lot of people who do this and it's amazing, it still amazes me actually how many extremely good players, tour players, still are easily influenced. And I think mm. you look at um, Toby Fleetwood now, 
you'd say mm. that he's probably a lot more impervious than he was. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> because of his lessons that he's learned from, yeah. okay, well, look, you the know, pain. I shouldn't, yeah, exactly. He's experienced some pain, so he will have learned from those lessons. And you think, well, can he continue and can he be, you know, a major champion? Yeah. And, yeah, and, and I'd like and, to think so. And I, I think he, well, I hope he does because he's in an amazing place at the moment and he's, it's great for the English game, obviously. But I, I think if you look at the, if we were to speak about, all of the top players. So let's talk about your Tiger Woods and your Rory McIlroy's and your Dustin Johnsons. And, and you were to think to them and say, right, DJ, I've noticed something in your swing. I think it might help you if you just did this. What's he yeah. going to say to you? Don't say it. Yeah. But you know he's going <laughs> we'll to bleep that, bleep that bleep bit out. out. I mean, there's no way that even if the top coaches on tour, so your Pete Cowens and maybe your Sean Foley's, were to go to a DJ who they don't work with and say, DJ, I really think I can help you. You know, by sorting out your putting, for instance, and things like that. They're just not going to, they're, no. they're impervious to that. Whereas if you go onto the tour for the first time, maybe if a Sean Foley comes up to you, and obviously Sean's an amazing coach, by the way, we're not obviously picking on anyone here at all. And obviously Sean's done great work with lots of golfers, but because it's just a different coach. Yeah. So a different coach comes to you and says, I think I can help you with this. And then suddenly you listen to him, is that going to guarantee that you're going to get better? It, although it's the right information, yeah. it might be the wrong time for you to hear that. Exactly. And yeah. I think that's really important. So basically, the, one of the big things that we would say to you that you can learn out of this, how many of you have been on the golf course when you're playing bad and a friend, and they are friends, they do want you to play well, has given you some advice? And then on the next hole, they've given you some different piece of advice based on another part of your game. And then the next hole, some, another piece of advice. So before you know it, you've got two or three pieces of advice which are all probably not far off the mark, but actually are not going to help you at that stage. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of the advice will be based on their own experiences. So it might not be relative to, yes. to you. You know, a lot of people will have the best, you know, your friends will have your best interest at heart. Some people will anyway. Depends how uh, com <laughs> competitive you are. But the, um, they will have your best interest at heart. So they're trying to help you, but the problem is, is some of the things that they're saying might be based on their golf swing and they're sort of relaying it to you and I think then it doesn't apply to you and next thing you know you've, you've got six swing thoughts in the f first nine holes and then you haven't got a clue what, what to do. Um, uh, yeah. So it's, it, just, it can get confusing and I think it can get, you know, um, the more you let in, the harder it is, I think. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it is literally impervious as, as, imperviousness as well is about being thick-skinned, isn't it? It's the same thing, isn't it? You know, being thick-skinned understanding that you know you do things your way but obviously finding out what you do need to change that's important you know what parts of your game you do need to get better at but actually if there's things that are working really well then maybe you should be leaving those alone yeah i think you know it's uh, you don't want to insult your friends too much you know by <laughs> you doing can that. If you, want. you can hear them out but i would yeah. say hear them out but necessarily don't listen to them and i think there's a big difference between just hearing them out and listening to them and applying what they say you know and other experiences on the golf course you can how many times have you done this, if you're listening to this, you're, how many times have you stood on the tee when you're playing with, um, you know, in a medal or something, and it's a par four, and you're thinking, well, do I hit a three wood, do I hit a rescue and get it in play, or do I hit a driver? You look at the other player, he pulls driver out, and you go, he's hitting driver, I'll hit driver. And then you maybe put it in, in, some, in some trouble. So what I would say is really as well, stick to your own game plan. If you've got your own strategy and your own game plan, do not be influenced by other people's decisions. You know, and it's so easy to do that. Get influenced and drawn into, well, that guy's hit driver or, or he's going for the green on yeah. a par four. Um, just because he's going for it, that's his strategy, um, doesn't mean that you shouldn't. I think it takes a lot of, uh, 
a lot of character and a lot of mental strength to actually just stick to your own and not be influenced and say, well, this is my game plan, I'm going to stick to it. And the more, this, the more you stick to that, this is a great point actually, the more you stick to your own game plan and that you do what you intend to do, the more confidence you're going to have as you get through the game as well. If you keep changing based on other people's influences, you are not going to have much confidence. And you know what? We all want more confidence on the golf course, yeah. don't we? And if you think about it as well, with what we've done with these sort of these five categories, if you think about obviously being more impervious, you know, if you are a better planner and if you understand what your strengths are, suddenly these things, like that, that, that great example you had there, Andy, where the guy is changing his club selection based on what the other guy is doing, you know, if you know what your plan is, and you know what your strength is, exactly. there's no way you're on that team knowing what you're going to hit already. No. So you are impervious by having a plan yeah. and knowing your strengths. So they all do really work well with each other for sure. Yeah, they're all linked in, aren't they? So I think look, the key take-homes from this is if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, Don't get changing things if things are working for you. Um, obviously, if things aren't going your way, you need to have a look at, at what you need to change and then yeah. you know, put things in place. But if, if they're not going your way, seek advice from somebody who you really trust, a professional who can help your game. Yeah. And obviously do not listen to anybody apart from me and Pierce when it comes to <laughs> golf swing. And uh, just no in-game listening. But actually, Andy, you're exactly right with what you just said there. Exactly. <laughs> so look, I mean, there's, uh, there's five things there that we wanted to get, you know, talk to you guys about there. Hopefully you've found some benefit in that. And hopefully you've got some useful tools for next time you're on the golf course. And I think the key thing with this, Pierce, um, with anything when we talk about mental and mindset, I think a lot of it is self-awareness and understanding yourself and starting to think about these things when you're on the golf course. You know, And I think you're going to, you're going to start to see um, and identify some weaknesses in maybe your thinking, maybe some of the weaknesses in your game. Um, and hopefully you know, your, your scores, your handicap and your golf's going to improve. Yeah. Okay, so normally we finish this with a quote. Now, I must say, we normally finish with a quote. I haven't really thought of one, but as we're going through this, I've got a quote. And it, we said also that with these five um, traits of the Tor Pro, that they weren't in any particular order. But actually, when I look at this and spend more time, I actually think they are in a pretty good order to start with. Well, the first one anyway. So preparation. So preparation, if you prepare well, you are going to let all the other ones, the obsession, the strength, resilience, and the imperviousness imperviousness. <laughs> I'm glad we got that in there, Piers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a lot easier for you to actually realise those. So, what's the quote? Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Why not? Yeah, I think it's a great one. Okay, okay guys, hope you enjoyed that. Um, as always, leave us a review, head over to iTunes, um, let us know what you think of the podcast. If you've got any suggestions as well, then please just, you know, leave the suggestions of topics or special guests you'd like us to have us on there. Um, and let's, you know, let's get this podcast out to as many people as we can. Share with your friends um, and hopefully you'll help their game and they'll thank you for it as well. So uh, we'll see you next time on the Take Charge podcast.